We've all been there. You have a question about your credit card, you call the number for help and can't get a hold of anyone if you only had a Discover card. With 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. A real person. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is episode number 1157 with Dr. Roger Schwelt, part two. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. My guest today is Dr. Roger Schwelt. Roger is a quadruple board certified in internal medicine, pulmonary diseases, critical care medicine, and sleep medicine through the American Board of Internal Medicine. And he is a wealth of information, does so much research, checks all the data. He's also the co-founder of MedCram, which is a medical education company where his mission is to demystify medical concepts for people around the world. And this is part two of a conversation we had, so make sure to check out the previous episode after this. But in this episode, we discuss the pros and cons when it comes to the COVID-19 vaccine and all the latest studies Roger has seen when it comes to treating and preventing COVID-19, how variants of viruses are formed and how we can eliminate them, how to actually change your diet for good, how the body and the mind are connected, and so much more. Again, if you're enjoying this, make sure to share this with someone that you feel would be inspired by this or this information could be helpful to as well. Also, click the subscribe button right now on Apple Podcasts to stay up to date on the latest and greatest here on the School of Greatness podcast. And a big shout out to one of our fans from the week who left us a review over on Apple Podcasts. This is Cottondale Carmen from the U.S. And they said, I started listening to your podcast with episode 1000 and I'm hooked. I'm practicing visualization. I enjoyed Brene Brown and I am an eternal student. Thank you for the teaching and the lessons. I loved every episode. Lewis Howes, you are awesome. Well, I appreciate that very much. Thank you so much for your kind words and for your review. And again, if you guys want to be shouted out on the School of Greatness, then leave a review right now and let us know the part you enjoyed about this episode the most. Okay, in just a moment, the one and only Dr. Roger Schwelt. Could you give me, if you're a lawyer, could you give me the top five pieces of evidence or uh, mindful information for and against taking a vaccine? Okay. Would you say, like, here's what the data is saying. Here's you what want me to play devil's advocate? Yes. Okay. I want you to be a lawyer on both sides. Okay. Here's why you should get it, and here's why you shouldn't get it. Because there's a lot of people who are, uh, you know, saying no to it. I don't want to have it. It's not what I want. Here's all the reasons why. And there's a lot of people saying you're crazy is why you need to have it. Yeah, and, and it's almost like these two populate. There's no, I mean, usually with a population, there's an overlap yeah. where you can meet in the middle. There's no overlap. There's a right and a wrong. <laughs> exactly. And it's it's almost worse than like politics right now. It's like it's breaking up families, it's breaking up friendships, it it's breaking up business yeah. relationships. If someone's not doing something, then they're bad and wrong or and on both sides. So could you give the case? That's gonna be a great that's a great question. Okay, so case for and against. Okay, so you're a lawyer on each side of this. I'm going to 
Which one should I do first? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to uh, do the, the case for getting the vaccine. Maybe the top five reasons and the okay. top five for not getting the Got vaccine. Got it. All right. All right. So I'm going to go with the pro-vaccine one first. Mm-hmm. And, and that one, I'll have to admit to you, is a little bit easier for me to do. Why? Right. Because I'm a critical care doctor. Right. And I've seen the worst of the worst. Yes. I mean, I have seen families ripped apart, wiped out because of the virus. Really? Yeah. I, okay. I've had a situations where we're intubating somebody and we say, call the husband. And they call the husband and he's down in the ER himself. No way. Yeah. And, and, and they're in the same room and, and people, one dies and the other one's still there. Oh. Yeah. So this is the type horrible. of thing. I've seen these things. And that's we've got horrible. to call up family members. So, so this is, these are not just war stories. These are things that, that, that happen. Wow. And, and it's hard and to do that. you're seeing this on a weekly basis. On a daily basis. There was a period there in February where I worked literally five weeks in a row. I got up at six in the morning, went in at seven, didn't get home till eight, and I did that for five weeks. Wow. Because there was just nobody else. Who else is going to do it? Wow. Um, and to see that, and I, I mean, we had nurses that uh, instead of seeing two patients at a time, they were seeing four patients because mm. we had nothing else. We had to write up, and maybe these are the reasons right here, there you go. basically. Um, we had uh, the state of California, and, and I don't think the state of California is unique in this. I think all 50 states were doing this were making their hospitals to come up with plans as to what we would do if people came to the hospital and we just didn't have resources. What would you do? Yeah. So we had to come up with a, uh, a protocol that would say, who are we going to give treatment to and who wow. are we not going to give treatment to? And, um, and the reason for that was, I'll explain, um, has to do with exponential growth, which we'll talk about. Sure. Um, but... It was interesting. In that protocol, we could not use age mm. as a determining factor. It had to be based on medical uh, medical futility, mm, basically. Interesting. Yeah. So that's very hard to do. I've never. I've been a physician for twenty years, twenty plus years. Never, never thought about that. That's like disaster medicine. Okay. Disaster triage. So one of the reasons for for yes. it is, and I I think one of the things that is the reason why people don't understand why things are going is because of this idea of exponents. Okay, so let me explain. I, I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a choice, Lewis. Mm-hmm. I can give you a million dollars right now. Yes. Or I can give you a penny right now, but tomorrow I'll double the penny, and the next day I'll double it again, and the next day I'll double it again for 30 days. Right. What would you take? I would take the, the second option. You would take the second option. Because of exponential growth. That's because, Lewis, you understand exponents. <laughs> yes. So if you do that to 30 days, you'll realize that on the 30th day alone, I'm going to be paying you over $5 million. Right. Okay? So, but to someone who doesn't understand that, think about this. I give a million dollars to somebody and they go out and buy a house. That's, that's logical, right? If, I, if you, someone won a million dollars and they went out and bought a house, that would, what they're doing would be commensurate with what they got. Yes. Okay. Now, imagine I give somebody a penny today and I'm about to give them two pennies and they understand exponents, but nobody else does. And they go out and they buy a house and they go out and buy a boat and they go out and buy a car and they go on a big vacation. And you're like, whoa, this guy is crazy. Right. He's way, he's way overspending. He's got, by the end of the first week, I think he has like 64 cents in his wallet. Wow. By the end of the second week, he's got a few hundred dollars. So clearly, this guy is way overspending. And that's the thing that I think a lot of people see is they see mm-hmm. a few hundred cases uh, here and there and the government's coming down like a ton of bricks. And they're saying, you're just using this ex- as an excuse to, 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 
But what they don't understand is that it's going to go like that for a long time. And then right at the end, things start to pick up and go real fast, mm. real fast. And we have examples of this. This happened already. I mean, the Delta variant came from India. Mm. It was first discovered in India. And what happened over there was, I mean, if you look at some of the stories, they showed up to the hospital. There was nothing there for them. Mm. Uh, there was so much, there was such a demand for oxygen. They, they ran out of medical grade oxygen. They had to use industrial grade oxygen. And the problem with that is it wasn't sterilized. Mm. And so they're getting pumped full of oxygen. And two weeks after they get off, the, they survive and they get off, now they have black mold in their sinuses oh. and it starts to eat through their skull and into their brain. Oh, and they have to get this cut out. Yeah. So this is the kind oh, of stuff. Man. I mean, there's whole situations where ICUs, basically the oxygen just ran out. And everybody in the ICU died at the same time. Really? Yeah. So this is the problem with exponential growth. Start to learn about exponential growth and you'll see why once we get to exponential growth, there's very little that we can do about it. Mm, okay. And so one of, the, one of the pro points of a vaccine is that it could potentially uh, reduce the spread and prevent you from getting to that exponential growth. Got it. Okay. So that's called the r naught value. If you look at the r naught. That'll tell you, is it at, if it's at one, that means that there's going to be no growth. One person infects only one person. So it's going to stay the same. Everybody, the, the number of people that are infected is never going to change. If that R value goes down below one, that means the pandemic is going to just go out. It's going really? to fizzle out. Yeah. Where are we at right now? We are at one point something. <laughs> and it's going up. So one person infects 1.1 people. This is on average. And so long as that number stays above one, we're going up. The chance for exponential growth is going to yeah, happen. That's correct. Okay. So, so, the, so the, um, the natural history of these things, have you noticed that they go up and then they come down? Mm -hmm. So what's happening there? Something is changing. You know, this last time in February, it came back down. A lot of people said, oh, it's the vaccine. It's not the vaccine. Mm. What caused it to go down? Lewis, remember back, when things started to get really rough, what did, did you notice that a lot of friends of yours said, hey, you know what, we're, we're, we were going to get together uh, Saturday night, but we're not going to do that this time. Yeah. That's exactly what happened. And that happens, when that happens across the board, the virus can't spread. Spread. Unless people gather. Exactly. And so what, what, really is the, what really is causing this stop and come back down again is people's behavior. Mm, the actions they take. Remember, in California, we had a, a mask mandate. Yes, for did a you long see time. It? Did you see anybody doing anything about it? Doing what about it? Were they actually wearing masks? Um, Some of them were. Well, you couldn't go into stores without masks. Correct. You know, but yes, Correct. outside. But, but here's the thing. Different. Here's the thing that we didn't have. We didn't have sports. We didn't right. have concerts. Yeah. Those are big places where things can spread. Mm -hmm. So that and so things stayed low for a long time. Right. And when we started to open up, things. So, so people say mask mandates don't work. They're they're right in a sense. The thing that works the best. It's when, when, <laughs> when, pe no, when people start to see what's happening. Mm -hmm. It's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. Things are, are going well, and then when things start to get really bad, people start to hear about relatives that are in the hospital. So people start to hear about things personally in their own friends. They change their habits, mm -hmm. whether it's a government that tells them to do it or it's their own personal choice uh, that does it. It doesn't matter who's telling you to do it or why you're doing it. It's the fact that you're doing it. Yes. And so when you do less risky behavior, the virus can't replicate and it comes back down. And yeah. that's why every, even the Delta variant, look, look at the Delta variant in India. It went up, it spiked. How many people in India are vaccinated? 3%? Really? That's it? It came back down. 
Huh. So it's not the vaccine that takes it down. That would be one of the reasons to say, I mean, those are one of the, the reasons against vaccination, sure, right? Sure. It's not vaccination that ends the pandemic. It's not, let me put it this way. It's not vaccination that causes the wave to come back down. It's a change in personal behavior. Got it. Multiplied across the board. Right. That's what causes it to go down. Now, if you want to eliminate the virus, you've got to eliminate the ability for it to reproduce because variants happen when viruses reproduce. They can't, you, the only way you can get a variant mm. is if the virus it's makes price. a mistake when it's reproducing. Mm. So when the virus is reproducing your body a billion, trillion times, it makes a slight mistake. And then that spreads to another person. And, then, and, and that mistake can have two effects, three effects. It can have no effect. It can have a, a, a worsening effect on the virus, which means that it doesn't infect as well, in which case it's just a dud anyway. It's just one out of a trillion. Who cares, mm-hmm. right? Or it can make it more infectious, more lethal, whatever it needs to be. And if that virus then gets to reproduce, now you have a Delta variant and it just takes over. That's exactly what happened. So the way to stop variants from happening is stop replication of the virus. The way you stop replication of the virus, that's tricky. Mm -hmm. Some people believe we'll never be able to completely eliminate this virus. Mm. And we'll go from a pandemic to an endemic. What's that mean? That's like the flu. The flu comes back every year. Right. Okay. So that's the question. Okay. So what's another case for it then? What's another case for getting the vaccine? Well, before the Delta variant, um, we had really good data that showed that getting the vaccine prevents not only hospitalization, but also transmitting it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. Because of the Delta variant, that amount of infection aspect of it has gone down. In other words, people with the vaccine are more, are more likely than they used to be to contract the virus, but still less likely to contract the virus if they weren't vaccinated. Okay. Hmm. What we have been seeing up to this point is that the, 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 the way that the vaccine keeps you out of the hospital has not really changed. It's still above 90%. So you get the vaccine, you're still going to the hospital. No, you, no. You, if you get the less. vaccine, it keeps you out of the hospital. Keeps you out of the hospital. It's, it was, according to all the data that we've seen so far, greater than 90% efficacy, even with uh-huh. the Delta variant. Okay, you have the vaccine, the you're, you're going to be sick, but you don't need to go to the hospital. Correct. Got it. Exactly. So it's not stopping you. Getting the vaccine, people are still getting COVID. Correct. So they might get a positive test. Right. But they're like, oh, I just have a sniffles. Okay. And they don't, they don't end up going to the hospital. That's where we're seeing the gotcha. slip. Whereas before, they weren't even turning positive. Got it. Okay. okay. Now, the latest news is that in Israel, and the reason why we look to Israel is because Israel was the country that vaccinated everybody first. Really? So we see- Everyone yeah, got vaccinated. Oh, just about everybody. Like 70%. Wow. 78%. So we look to Israel to see what's going to happen next because when we see what happens in Israel- we can see what's going to happen here in the United States because we're maybe about a month or two behind. What they're noticing in Israel is they're starting to see an uptick in people who have been vaccinated who are ending up in the hospital with mild to moderate cases. Really? Yes. Why is that? Excellent question. (laughs) So when they looked at who these people were, it was people with two characteristics. Number one, they were older. And number two, they were vaccinated way at the beginning. What does that have to do with it? Well, they're thinking that the vaccine effects of keeping people out of the hospital is wearing, last, off, is wearing off. Last six months or eight months, eight months or whatever. Exactly. So you got to constantly be getting new shots. So then? this is the thing. Um, Israel has already made up their mind, and they said everybody over 60 gets a third shot. Wow. 
So it's not like they're getting another two shots. They're getting, actually, it's, it's just one shot and within, within a day or two or a week, or no, within a day or two, antibody levels come up immediately. So it's like, it's kind of like you were studying in college. It took you a long time to study the Krebs cycle or whatever you, I don't know, what was your major in college? Sports management. Sports management, okay. <laughs> I don't have a good one for that. <laughs> but you studied something, right? Yes. Okay, how, how many, uh, I don't know, how many holes there are in golf? 18, yeah, exactly. right? Okay, yeah, yeah. so you learn, you learn that, right? And then when you go back to it, it just takes you very little time to remember what that right, was. Right. You just, just a flashcard and you're right back to it. Uh -huh. That's the same kind of thing that they're talking about. Got it, okay. Yeah. Okay, what's another case for getting it? Another case for getting the vaccine is, well, well so let's review. It's hospitalization. Hospitalization, preventing, preventing infection. Yep. Um, those are the big two right there. Okay, cool. Okay, so the, uh, oh, and also if you don't get the infection, you don't get the long COVID stuff. The lung COVID? Long, long COVID. COVID stuff. What's that? I mean, it doesn't stay Symptoms of COVID that last for more than two months. Okay, wow. Three months. Wow, that's not fun. Actually, the official, the official definition now is if you have symptoms for more than 12 weeks. Okay. Wow. That's a long time. That's a long time. So in other words, it's hard to recover from that. It, well, if you have it for less than 12 weeks, you think that's pretty long, but that's actually par for the course wow. to use another golf analogy. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Okay. So now you're you're standing in front of the judge and you are defending not getting vaccines. What are the what are the the points, the evidence, the proof that you could show for everyone that's saying, you know what? I'm not going to get the vaccine, or I don't believe in it, or I've seen cases of people who've gotten sick right after getting the vaccine. I don't want to get side effects or sick from this. It hasn't been, you know, enough time that, that was pushed through faster than any other vaccine so, in history. So, what's, yeah. what's the... So the strongest arguments, the strongest arguments for... Against uh, the Against vaccine. vaccine is this idea of, of we don't know the long-term effects. Okay, that's okay. the strongest argument. Um, is there... Are there antibodies? Uh, there's a lot of talk about something called antibody-dependent enhancement. Mm -hmm. What is antibody-dependent enhancement? What it is is basically when you have something in your body that makes antibodies to it, but instead of the antibodies neutralizing it, which is what they should be doing, okay, the antibodies somehow bind to it and allow it to go into the cell better. Mm -hmm. You understand what I'm saying? Yes. So in other words, your immune system is kind of shooting itself in the foot. That's antibody-dependent enhancement. You can see the whole meaning is right there in the term. So the question is, is, is that happening? Um, there's some data to suggest that in vitro, in a test tube with the Delta variant, there's some evidence to suggest that the antibody, that there may be antibodies that could do that, but they haven't seen that mm -hmm. in real life. Um, and I would just say, uh, in, 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 to tell you the whole truth, when you look at who is ending up in the hospital right now, 95% of them are people who have... 95% of the people who are ending up in the hospital with COVID have not been vaccinated. Really? So if we were to have, if we were to see antibody-dependent enhancement, I would have expected that to be worse. Now, in Israel, they're starting to see that that 95 is eroding. Mm. They're starting to see more and more people who have been vaccinated. But realize that in Israel, almost everybody's vaccinated. Right. So if there is going to be breakthrough cases, it's going to be likely in vaccinated people. Because sure. that's who you have to start out with. Right. So that's that. Um, another strong case against um, against vaccination. Let, I mean, let's go with the stuff that's been actually proven or actually been shown. So in the Johnson & Johnson uh, case, there was a number of cases, about six, in six million uh, shots. And remember, the Johnson & Johnson is a one-shot deal. So there was about six, uh, mostly women, younger women, uh, who developed something called a... Um, uh, 
superficial venous thrombosis, or actually uh, intracerebral venous thrombosis, sinus thrombosis. Thrombosis, what is that? Thrombosis is a blood clot Okay. okay in the brain. Um, and the concern was, is why was this happening? There's some, there's some uh, data to suggest that because the Johnson & Johnson vaccine was using an adenovirus as a vector, so in other words, in the messenger RNA uh, um, vaccines, they were using little lipid, lipid droplets with the mRNA in it, and that would fuse with the cell. The Johnson & Johnson and AstraZeneca, AstraZeneca by the way, uh, those vaccines don't use the little lipid droplets. They use basically vi uh, viral shells. Mm -hmm. And the virus then infects, and then it dumps the DNA in there, and it can do what it needs to do. So when they did that, that was sometimes associated with thrombosis. So that's, that's kind of scary, right? right. Thrombosis. Right. Nobody, who wants to get thrombosis, right? Um, six in six million. So it was about a one in a million. Now, there could have been some underreporting of right. that. So right. maybe it's, I mean, those are the ones that got reported, right? right. So but there's probably more of those. Uh -huh. So it's probably not one in a million, probably more than one in a million. Sure. But it's still kind of rare. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. When you want the best, you have to act quickly or someone else will get it instead. Like when you're trying to buy tickets for the best seat at your favorite team's big game or when you're hiring for your business and you want to find the most talented people for your open roles before the competition scoops them up. With ZipRecruiter, you can find qualified candidates fast. And right now you can try it for free at ZipRecruiter.com greatness. ZipRecruiter's powerful matching technology takes center stage to identify top talent for your roles. Immediately after you post your job, ZipRecruiter's smart technology starts showing you qualified people for it. And I believe finding the right team member is one of the most important steps in setting up my company for success. We like to ensure our new hires will be a good fit before they're even on the team. So I am grateful that I have ZipRecruiter's help when we want to grow the team fast. Amp up your hiring performance with ZipRecruiter and find the best fast. See why four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. Just go to this exclusive web address right now to try ZipRecruiter for free. ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. Again, that's ZipRecruiter.com slash greatness. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Um, to give you an example of what what, what else do we engage in every day that has a one in a one million chance of dying? 
You're supposed to be the, the against. You're supposed to be going. I know, I know, but <laughs> I, 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 I but mean, I want to do it. No, uh, I'm uh, I'm yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> driving a car. Yeah, exactly. Right. So so you wouldn't may not realize this, but a hundred million, a hundred sorry, a hundred and fifteen million people drive every day in the United yeah. States. Wow. And I didn't realize this, but sixteen thousand of them get into car accidents every day. Mm. That's why we have body shops. Now, sixteen thousand people get into car accidents. How many people die? A hundred die every day from car accidents from car accidents wow. out of 115 million so that's a one in a million chance right okay so that's that's kind of what we're well, talking we still about drive every day we yeah, hear yeah. every day about car accidents yes and we still drive every day because we have to weigh and here's the key point the risks versus the benefits so that's now pfizer and moderna have their own issues this issue of myocarditis so again spike protein we talked about the spike protein right mm-hmm. the spike protein was that thing that bound the ace2 receptor and that ACE2 receptor was like a big enzyme in your body that was supposed to be reducing the, the, the yes. oxidative stress and reducing antioxidants, right? Or increasing antioxidants, right? Mm-hmm. So what happens when you give a Moderna or Pfizer vaccine? You're, you're actually causing your body to make S spike proteins. So it's a lot, lot less and it's localized. I mean, think about it in terms of this, right? The virus is making billions upon trillions of virals, virus particles, each with their own spike proteins on them versus the injection, small amount of spike protein. There's some studies that show that the spike protein, very small amount of it gets in the blood, mm-hmm. actually, and starts to go other places. Um, the question is, is, does that spike protein cause problems? Well, after the second shot, there's some data now that, that they're looking at in Europe and also here in the United States, also about one in a million in Europe. Mm. There was about, in the Moderna vaccine, there was about 19 cases of, of myocarditis in about 19 million shots. So again, mm-hmm. about one in a million, probably underreported. Yeah, yeah. yeah, probably underreported, so right. probably higher than that. Um, and so uh, the, the, the question is there is, yeah, there's, so there's a chance. So most of these patients had myocarditis. That's basically inflammation of the heart. Mm-hmm. Usually goes away on its own after a couple of weeks or some treatment. Um, but again, one in a million shot. So there's someone that actually did a, a study. So the question is, is should I get the vaccine or not? And the question is, is, well, we know about the risks of the vaccine. What are the risks of or not? Because there's two possibilities on or not. The or not could be that you get the virus or you don't get the virus. If I had a crystal ball and I were to look down in time and I would see that you would never, ever get the virus, mm-hmm. then why do you need the vaccine? Right. I would say don't get the vaccine, right? Right, Because clearly you are not at risk for getting myocarditis from the virus because you're not going to get the virus. The problem is, is that in a pandemic, in an, an epidemic, in an endemic, mm-hmm. there's a very good likely chance that you might be infected. And so what we have to say is, do I get the vaccine or do I get the virus? And when they did that kind of a, a study, you were about six times more likely to get myocarditis from a viral infection than you were from the vaccine. Myocarditis is? The inflammation of the heart. Interesting. Yeah, and so it's very important for athletes, especially like yourself, you don't want to be exercising or doing things because that can actually make it worse. So you want to make sure that you're resting. When you get? When you get myocarditis. If you get COVID. If you you get COVID or rest. Yeah, and or uh, the problem with with the heart. So let's bring everything together, okay? Mm -hmm. The pros and the cons. The cons against, all of the arguments against the vaccine are very, very strong when you don't have a big incidence of the virus because you're looking at the risks of the vaccine versus nothing happening to you at all, right? Right. 
Okay. But when we're in that exponential growth phase, when, when the hospitals are being flooded, you don't want to need hospital care when the hospitals are full. Mm-hmm. And I'm not talking just about COVID. I'm talking about if you're having a baby, if you're in a car accident, it's going to be very hard to get the appropriate care that you need when the hospitals are filled. Mm. So you may be saying, I'm fit, I'm healthy, I, uh, there's no way I'm going to have a problem with COVID-19. This could still affect you because you could be driving and get into a car accident mm. or you could get a bout of appendicitis. You've got to go to that same hospital. That's so full. It, it's full. And so, you, yeah. So, so now the pro arguments of mm. getting the vaccine start to become very powerful when we're in a wave. Right. Because now the chances of you getting the virus go up. And so the, the question about whether or not to get the vaccine and the, and the, the risks and benefits are mitigated. It's, it's a dynamic interplay in the scale of back and forth is where are we in the pandemic? Right now, as, it's, as it stands, cases are surging, and, that, and that's a problem. So that's, mm. that's I mean, those, those are really the arguments for and against. Hard now, again, to, I'm, yeah. I'm coming from a side where I'm a little bit biased. Of course. I'll say that because I see all of the absolute worst things. Right. Uh, and, and somebody who hasn't been in the hospital and somebody who hasn't seen these things isn't going to see that, and it's not going to weigh on their mind. Um, so I use data, but I also have this irreparable image in my mind of my work and what I do to try to save patients and, right. and all of these sorts of things. So right. uh, I could understand how some people who don't have access to that, not of their own fault, could come up with a different opinion. Sure. Yeah. Got it. How much does fear play into contracting a virus or getting sick? So fear... Fear, anxiety, stress, Fear, worry. anxiety, stress, absolutely. How um, much does that affect, I guess, maybe getting inflammation, which would then cause you to get sick? More, it's, more likely. It's, it's huge. Really? Okay, so let me tell you about a study that they did. Um, this is a study at a McMaster University. Uh, Heather Heiss did this. She's, the, she's in charge of the Fit Lab at McMaster. Um, and um, on her campus, six weeks before final exams, you can remember final yes. exams. Very stressful, right? Like it, yeah. So six weeks before, she had three groups of people that she randomized. One group did nothing, okay? They just went through the six weeks and they measured them at the end. The other group did moderate intensity exercise training, moderate intensity. So they had their heart rates up into the 140s, let's say, three times a week, 20 minutes a day. Third group had their heart rates up into the 170s for 20 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. And she wanted to know, how does this mitigate uh, how we go to the end of the term. So your your question was about fear and anxiety. This is the time of the year where students have a lot of fear and anxiety because their careers depend on how they perform mm-hmm. here at the end on these exams. One of the striking things that they found in the control group, this is a group that did no exercise, was that compared to their baseline six weeks before the end of the term, when they got to the end of the term, their depression scale was significantly higher. And they wow. used a validated... Uh, Beck uh, inventory depression scale. It was significantly elevated. Because they did zero working out. They didn't do any working out. They were the control group. Yeah, they just lived their life, studied really hard, and took their exams. They had more depression. More depression. And higher levels of anxiety, both on a scale that was measured objectively and also self-reported stress. Mm. Both. Right. So very high. They said they were stressed, and and the the markers were showed they were stressed. Correct. Then she went ahead and she measured the amount of interleukin-6. What is interleukin-6? Interleukin-6 is a surrogate marker for inflammation in the body. Mm. And tumor necrosis factor alpha, those were increased as well. Now, in the moderate to severe, now this, I think you'll find this interesting if you're interested in exercise. Who did better 
Mm. Who did better, the moderate exercise or the high intensity exercise in terms of stress, depression, perceived stress, and inflammatory markers? Oh, man. So one group did three times a week. Three times a week. Moderate. Moderate. The other one did three times a week. Intense. Correct. Gosh, I feel like this is a trick question. Part of me wants to say the, uh, the intense was better off, but for some reason I feel like you're going to say the moderate was better off. You're smart. <laughs> <laughs> this is something that they describe in the literature as the J curve. Uh-huh. Okay, so it, here's the point. Here's the point for everybody listening is that you don't have to be an athlete to get the right. benefit of exercise. Right, you don't have to go super hard you every day. You don't. So just, just enough, just enough to get your heart rate up actually did better. Than pushing it. Than pushing it because the people that pushed it, so first of all, let's back up here. So remember I said that, that the control people had higher levels of depression? Higher levels of depression. Not only was moderate intensity exercise able to eliminate that increase, it actually went down. Wow. It actually felt happier. Down. They felt happier. Now that happened in both. The depression went down in both the moderate and in the intense groups. So they both did well. Gotcha. But when they asked them about stress and perceived stress, the moderate did much better than the than the active. Interesting. Yeah. Then when they measured interleukin interleukin six, same situation. The moderate intensity exercise training went down. So what does this all tell us? There, there is a there is a relationship between the body the mind, and that is connected through the immune system, it's connected through the hormone system, it's connected through exercise, all of those sorts of things. Things that we don't, things about that we learn about in textbooks that are in different chapters, actually underneath the surface are connected. Mm. And so you you talk about stress and fear. Here's another study that they did. So people in Japan, um, they took these CEOs, High, high stress people that are the tops of their companies and they took them out into the forest. Okay? <laughs> into the forest. And this was a, a Hinoki. Forest bathing. For this forest bathing. Yes. This is Hinoki tree. Hinoki oil. Sorry. Hinoki cypress trees. Mm-hmm. And they basically spent, to make a long story short, they spent about two nights there. Yes. Okay? And they measured everything. They measured the, uh, the white blood cells. They measured the, the, the amount of granules in the white blood cells. And to make a long story short, at the end of the three days when they measured everything and also the, the, the phytocides in the air that were coming off these uh, trees, their immune system, their innate immune system was much better at the end. And it lasted wow. for at least seven days. Wow. So a walk in the park every weekend, in other words, could do, one. it's another one of those Swiss cheese slices mm-hmm. that goes in there. Nature. Now, when they they did the same experiment, okay, but they put them, they checked them into a hotel in Tokyo, mm-hmm. not going up to the big mountain. They checked them into the hotel in Tokyo, and instead of having them walk around for three days in a forest, they infused this hinoki oil into the room. Huh. Okay. What happened? Same effect. Really? The yes. oil. The oil. So Wait, what so is this oil? I gotta get Hinoki, this. Hinoki <laughs> cypress oil. Do you do you use this or no? I you know what? Here's the here's the here's the good news. It's not just with Hinoki oil. Really? Hinoki cypress. This happens with just about all of the uh, the oils that comes from these trees. Eucalyptus, another one that they that they studied. Eucalyptus oil has it's been shown to improve the innate immune system, uh, where they actually in vitro dropped eucalyptus oil on these cells, and they basically turned into these cells that were activated and ready to do what they needed to do. Uh, by the way, um, 
in the pandemic in 1912, uh, Australia's eucalyptus trees were almost completely cut down because of the essence of that eucalyptus oil. Have you ever had Vicks? Yes. You know what the major ingredient is in Vicks? Eucalyptus, eucalyptus oil. So if you ever smell eucalyptus oil, you say, oh, this is, this is Vicks. That's what it is. That's why they use it. So now I, t- I told you, though, that the people in the, the Japanese forest and, the peop- and those people in, in the, the hotel room. room, they both had the same effect. I, t- I didn't completely finish because there was one difference. And the difference was is they measured urine cortisol levels. So cortisol is a stress hormone that goes up when you have fear, anxiety, and stress. So where do you think mm. the urine cortisol levels were the highest? In the people in the hotel room or in the people up in the forest actually naturally getting their hanoki oil from the trees themselves? People in the hotel room. You know, unless there was like, they're afraid of like a bear or something. You know, it's like, I don't know. Like, it's like it sounds every night in the woods and maybe you'd be more afraid, but yeah. No, you're absolutely right. Right. So, so here's the difference is that you're not getting the full benefit when you're out in nature. nature. And there's a study that, that showed that the more green that you're exposed to, just the green coming looking into your, at it, looking at see, scenes of greenery and nature, it has a calming effect on the body. Mm. The cortisol levels plummet and cortisol is a major problem in terms of your immune system. Cort- it's been shown over, over and over again that cortisol inhibits your immune system. Mm. And so to get those levels down, it's really important. So yeah, they got, the, they got half the benefit in the hotel room. They got the Hinoki oil, but they didn't get the full benefit because those cortisol levels were still elevated. Mm. So, so here's the point is try to figure out as many slices of Swiss cheese that you yes. can find and try to line those up. So I, I approach this in a, in a very different way than a lot of people might think that I would. A lot of people try to find things that work so they don't have to do other things. I try to find as many things and, try, and just try to line them up. Do them all. Do them all. And you'll, what you'll find is that the slices that work to cut down on coronavirus are the same slices that work for just about every other disease. And just living longer, healthier, Correct. happier. Exactly. If you could only do five things yourself, five natural, you know, um, organic activities, whether that's sleep a certain amount of hours, have oil in your bed, you know, whatever these things yeah. are, <laughs> non-medical related things. Non-medical related things. What would things. be the five things that you would do on a daily basis? That's a great question. To so, prevent disease, to prevent inflammation, to prevent COVID, you know, and, and optimize your body. Okay. I, number one is sleep on the list. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll tell you why that is. We talk about antibody levels and, and vaccines and these sorts of things. And we, we get all hung up about, you know, how much antibody levels are there. Here, here's a study that was done. The night before somebody was vaccinated with the uh, flu vaccine, this was a study out of Pittsburgh, if they had greater than eight hours of sleep, their antibody response was twice that than if they didn't get enough eight hours mm. of sleep. Twice. So wow. sleep is really important. I'll tell you another reason why sleep is important. Just, I'll, I'll take a little detour as to why. When you look at how you sleep, you go to bed, let's just say, let's just say you go to bed at 11 o'clock at night, 10 or 11 o'clock, and you get up at about six or seven in the morning. Those hours of sleep are not equal. There are different stages of sleep. Mm-hmm. There's deep sleep, which usually occurs at the beginning of the night, and then there's REM sleep, which occurs at the end of the night. Deep sleep is extremely important 
for physical, mental, restorative sleep. It's also tied to growth hormone. Yes. So when we talk about growth hormone, you know what I'm talking about. This used to be known as the holy grail of, of the fountain of youth. youth. Yes. Exactly. Delta wave or slow wave sleep is directly tied to secretion of growth hormone from the pituitary gland. Okay. Once you pass a few hours of sleep, you've lost that ability that night to get that growth hormone secretion. Mm, yeah. So in other words, let's put it this way. The hours of sleep before midnight are worth twice than the hours of sleep after midnight. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Go to sleep before midnight. And, and yes. by the way, it's also redundant there because guess when your melatonin starts to come on? Right before, right as you're going to sleep. Wow. Okay. And, we, and, and we didn't talk about this, but melatonin is a very, very powerful antioxidant. Mm. So even okay. to the point where we were actually giving melatonin to patients in, in the intensive care unit who were on COVID, who mm. had COVID. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, so, sleep. So, if there was one thing that I would say is try to get at least seven hours of sleep and try to make sure that those hours of sleep are before midnight. I mean, not all of them after before midnight. That'd be hard to do. But get two hours of sleep, maybe go to bed at 10 o'clock and try to get as much of that as possible. It's not to say that at the stroke of midnight, you're not going to get any more, but it starts to decrease right. after that. Okay. Wow. Interesting. Okay. That's number one. Okay. That's number one. Number two, um, we talked about diet. Mm -hmm. Okay. So for reasons uh, that we've already enumerated, whether it's sialic acid, whether it's inflammation, start to look at diet and, and to, to, to look at that. Now, I, I would say this. Here is, the, here is the temptation. The temptation is to look at your diet and say, I don't want to do that anymore. And then look at the new diet and say, I'm going to switch to that. Don't do that. It's hard. That's hard. It's hard to make a huge switch. It is. It is. Because the problem is, is it's not, it's gonna, not it's, sustainable. It's, it's not sustainable. And then what you're going to do is you're going to throw the baby out with the bathwater. So what I would do is look at your diet and find the worst thing about your diet and say, that's what I'm going to work on eliminating mm -hmm. and do it for a month. Mm -hmm. Then figure out the next thing and do that for a month. That's smart. What you will find, and I, I've done this because I used to eat meat. I used to do these things. And I started to, it, it wasn't an overnight change. It was something that gradually changed. So I went to University of California, Riverside, and uh, I was a chemistry major, and there was a Carl's Jr. in the cafeteria. Mm. And that's, I mean, it was so easy. Just go in yeah, there and get the burger, it. right? Yeah, of course. Yeah, exactly. Nothing against Carl's Jr. They're good burgers. Um, and they tasted good. But then after a while, I started to, to go away from it. Well, it wasn't, a, it wasn't an absolute for me. So when I went back to it two or three months later to try it out, because I was in a situation where you know, I was there on campus, I didn't have any food, I'll just go get a burger right. or whatever, it didn't taste the same. Mm. You would be very surprised at how your brain and your tongue, it's actually a two-way communication. It goes back and forth, taste. Wow. Things that, if you stop eating something for three months and then go back to it, it will taste different. Yeah. And, and the point is, is that the satisfaction that you're getting from it now you won't get from it later when you stop eating it. Sure. It, it'll be different. You'll get satisfaction from different things. Your tastes actually change. We don't think about it, but it, it actually happens. So um, I know that, that, that this whole issue about diet is very, very personal. Yes. People have very personal habits. It's not only just personal habits about what they eat, it's also ingra ingrained in their family. Mm -hmm. Culture, for, a lot of people, yeah. for a lot of people, they're not the ones making the food, it's somebody else making the food, and it's very complicated. Range Rover Sport leads by example. Picture this, 
Assertive on-road performance meets commanding all-terrain capability. That's the third-generation Range Rover Sport, which is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet. This vehicle redefines sporting luxury, offering an instinctive drive with engaging on-road dynamics and effortless composure. Now available in sleek, new stealth pack, Carpathian gray exterior wrapped in satin protective film with black accents and black brake calipers. Inside the Range Rover Sport, advanced cabin technologies like active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offer new levels of comfort and refinement. And let's not forget about the award-winning Pivi Pro infotainment system. Enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Wow, that's like a spa day while on the go. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. So listen, we all know life is full of yada yada, like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print. And I know you've dealt with yada yada before, like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all. Or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare, but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else. And yes, it is possible to outsmart yada yada, like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. But what I would say is, is that I, despite all of those barriers that I believe a lot can be gained by looking at some of these things and trying to make some changes. Okay. Yeah. Nutrition. Okay. Yeah. Number three. Should I group it together or not? Sunshine and fresh air. They come together. Yeah. It's, they yeah, they yeah. sort of going, getting outside. Yes. Um, nature. Nature. So we had on our, on our MedCram channel a guy by the name of Dr. Joseph Allen uh, out of the Harvard Medical School and talking about ventilation and sick buildings and the things that, and the, and the air turnover. And he talks extensively. Very good, very educational for me to listen to him about how built when buildings were designed, buildings were designed so that they were energy efficient. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the data that came out and a lot of the stuff that has has kind of influenced how we build buildings came out of the 70s. And what did we have in the 70s? We had the energy crisis. Mm -hmm. How can we make buildings so that they are extremely efficient? And so antithetical to efficiency is high turnover of air because you've got to heat and cool that air. So it's a real problem. So that's when we started to see in the literature, Dr. Allen says, is when we started to see this whole thing about sick buildings. Mm. People who work in sick buildings. Who get sick. Correct. In these buildings, yeah. In, in, in these buildings. The buildings aren't sick, yeah. The people right, in the buildings, right. right. So, and, and why is that? He says, you'll notice this. He, and, and, you know, when he brought it up, I started to think about this. You'll be in a room, it's kind of stagnant, not a lot of airflow, and you, you have a hard time. And as soon as somebody opens the door, it's mm. kind of like, ah. ah. You know, it's, it's, it's interesting, right? <laughs> Um, and so this, this idea of, of airflow, he's like cracking some windows open. It could be as simple as just cracking a window open. He showed us in his mm. video about how you can buy a meter that can actually measure the amount of carbon dioxide in the, in the air. And it's a surrogate for measuring how much ventilation is going on. Right. So that's really, really important um, is, is getting outside. What else is about getting outside? Vitamin D. Yes. There's the ultraviolet radiation. There's, there's a study that came out that showed and this is really fascinating, is that there was a connection between how much light 
somebody got and their COVID-19, I was either infection or mortality. I can't really? remember what it was. Yeah. And so the thought was, is that this was vitamin D mediated, but it wasn't. They controlled for vitamin D. There was another effect above and beyond vitamin D that people were getting from being outside in the sun. What's that? We don't know. Happiness. Could be. Joy. Yeah. Well, peace we, of mind, right? Less well, we, stress. Exactly. Well, we know that there's something called SAD. It's aptly named seasonal affective disorder. This is where people become very right. depressed in the winter months. Why? There's not a lot of sunlight. Mm -hmm. And again, it's this idea of the mind, the body, and the spirit being connected. And so that leads us to, to, the, to the last one. I don't know. Am I that, on number three or number four? Three. Number four. Oh, you're going to push it out of me here. Yes. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, I've got one more that I can definitely think of. I don't know if okay. I can come up with five. It's the spiritual aspect. Mm. And, and this kind of comes from my, it's informed from my upbringing. Um, you, you mentioned that I, I lived at Loma Linda, which is a blue zone. What's a blue zone? It's where people live longer. And so this has been this kind of the secret sauce, I think. So, so Dan Buettner, uh, who worked with uh, National Geographic, came mm -hmm. up with these blue zones. He went to Sardinia. He went to uh, Okinawa. Mm -hmm. And he went to these places. Why? Because these people live, like they've got people in their hundreds, which is very, very unusual. The one thing that Loma Linda, and Loma Linda was the other place, the one thing that Loma Linda was different in is that the people in Loma Linda were not of the same genetic, mm. genetics. All different genetics. All different genetics. So Okinawa. Immigrants and this, yeah. Exactly. And in Southern California of all places, like where the air, like I remember people telling me when they got to Loma Linda in July to start school, they didn't even know there were mountains until December. Right, right. <laughs> okay. I mean, because it was just this haze of fog. Yes. Of smog. So, so the, the one thing that was really unique to Loma Linda as a blue zone that, that the others did not have is that it wasn't a genetically homogeneous population. Mm. It, there was Caucasian folks, African-American yes. folks, Hispanic folks. Yes. And they all sort of... Interesting. And, and, and the, the short of it is, is basically, yes, there is community. Yes, they do follow a diet. Uh, but there's other populations that do that too. And so the question, what was the real special sauce? Here's the real special sauce, I think, that's that last one out of, out of the group. And that is having a connection and resting. 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 Mm -hmm. So, you know, we have, we sleep. We talked about how important sleep is. We talked about how important sleep is. Sleep mm -hmm. is something that we do every day to recharge ourselves. But is that all that's needed? And I would, I would submit to you that the answer is no, there's something else. When you go through a week, you know, we have, we have a work week of five days. And we, we, most people rest for two, for two days or they have a break. But the question is, do we, ever, do we ever stop what we're doing? And relax. And, and, and relax and sort of remit ourselves to a higher power. Okay, so there's a lot of, there's a lot of literature on, on faith mm -hmm. and, and the faith literature in terms of believing in a higher power and, and taking those things that give us stress and giving it over to something else. Right. Okay? Not carrying the weight. Exactly. The spiritual or emotional weight. Exactly. Interesting. Now, that, could, that can cut both ways because some people can get into faith-based things where it can cause more stress. Right. So you've got to, you've got to make sure that that is, mm -hmm. is not the case. But, but in, being in a, in a situation like that where you can truly kind of get off the roller coaster, you know, as the rat wheel is, as the, as the wheel is spinning, have a chance to get off, recharge, think about other things, spend time with your family, 
spend time you know, with your God, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. These are things that uh, I believe that benefit us. There, there is some evidence to believe that inside of our bodies, and I have to, I don't I'm not prepared to talk about some of the research, but I know there is research that says that there not only is there a circadian rhythm, circadian means is Latin for about a day, mm -hmm. but there's also a seven day cycle, and really? it kind of goes yeah it kind of goes back to this thing with these guys walking in the forest. That effect of them walking in the forest lasted about seven days. After the fact. Yeah. So connecting to nature, connecting to yeah. something greater, letting go. Correct. Lasting for seven days. Yeah. I and mean, let's look at the French Revolution. In the mm -hmm. French Revolution, they wanted to get rid of everything that they had known. And they had a seven-day week. And they said, we are not having a seven-day week. We're going to go to a 10-day week. It didn't last. Right. They couldn't do it. It makes sense. It did not. Right. So they went back to the seven-day week. We are programmed as individuals to have a seven-day week. If you think about it. We know why we have a year. We have a year because it takes a year for the earth to go around the sun, right? We have a month. Why do we have a month? Because it takes a month for the moon to go around the earth, mm. right? We have a day. Why do we have a day? Because it takes one day for the earth to spin around on its axis. We don't have anything for a week. Mm. We have no astronomical sign that gives us a week. And yet, yeah. every single culture in the world is on a seven-day week. Why is that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go, something higher. Yeah. Think about that. Interesting, yeah. Every single culture in the world operates on a seven-day week. And there's nothing that guides that. Um, if, if you were to ask me why that is, it's because I believe the Judeo-Biblical uh, um, historical record on why there's a seven-day week. It was instituted from the very beginning. Right. But I think it's interesting evidence. And if that is fact the case, then... Um, then maybe the instruction manual should be followed. Right, right. Interesting. Or maybe let's put it this way. There's benefits to be derived if the instruction manual is followed. Right, right. Speaking of the spiritual aspect, as someone who's been practicing for over 20 years now, yeah. can you think of one or two instances in your practice where people have healed themselves that they shouldn't have been able to? Medically, you're like, this doesn't make any sense. As soon as you said that, I know exactly who I'm going to talk about. Go ahead. Okay. So there's a condition in medicine uh, where if not enough blood is getting to the brain because the brain needs oxygen continuously, uh, after about four minutes, uh, there's irreversible brain damage. Mm -hmm. okay, you so, might still survive. Correct. But you could have, you know, you just want to be able to function. Correct. Memory loss, speech loss, yeah. motor function, all that stuff. Exactly. So there was a young gentleman um, this was when I was in training. Uh, this was, must have been in the early 2000s. And uh, he had testicular cancer, unfortunately. But at that age, testicular cancer is pretty curable in most cases um, um, with chemotherapy and surgery in that nature. So he uh, went to surgery, and there was a problem in surgery. The, uh, the, the patient uh, didn't do well. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the blood pressure went. He may have coded. I can't remember exactly what it was. But uh, he came back up to the floor. Uh, up to the uh, intensive care unit, which is where I was training in the intensive care unit. And, um, and when we picked him up, he was, you know, we, we lifted the sedation and he was just not there. He was dead? He was... He was, he, he was alive. But he was... But he was not responding to our commands. Wow. He was not, he was not acting appropriately. And we could see that there was twitching, maybe even seizures going on. Mm -hmm. And this was a young uh, Hispanic uh, gentleman who had just been married. In his 20s. In his 20s, yeah. Um, and so he was there 
for the better part of the month. Uh, by the time I got on service. In that in that process. In that process, correct. Not responding. Just there. Yep. Just on like a, on life on a support, ventilator. Yeah. On a ventilator. He was on a ventilator. He was pretty much going brain dead. Correct. But he wasn't brain dead. Right. He was still alive. Right. Technically. But he was just not there. He didn't move. Correct. Was he in a coma? Essentially, yeah. Yeah. We, we, we would today, uh, at the time we called it persistent vegetative state. Wow. Yeah. Where they, there's pretty much no coming out of that. Generally speaking, no. And that's exactly what we told the family. And yeah. we even, had, we even uh, had a neurologist come in. And the neurologist uh, did some uh, special uh, things with MRI. They were able to look at choline levels in the uh-huh. brain and all this sort of stuff that was hopeful in predicting whether or not these people would, would get better or not. Mm. Now, the one thing that he had going for him was that he was young. Right. Generally speaking, people over, over his age, they, they really wouldn't have uh, a chance of coming back. So, yeah, I mean, we would, we would meet in rounds and we'd like, what are we going to tell his wife? His wife is, she's like, she's there every day. Ugh. She would come in and she would say, you know, can I put, I, I, I made some, some we, would, we would feed the patients with tube feeding. So there was a tube that went down and it would be like a, a milkshake, basically, that would go down. She would make, she would blend the stuff up and she would ask, say, can I put this in? Oh, my God. And she would bring some, you know, energy drinks or not energy drinks, but you know, nutrition, healthy, healthy things, yeah, to put it down there to help him. Wow. And we would just shake our heads. It's like, what do we get? I mean, she's, she's just, she doesn't get it. Every day for a month. Yeah, for at least a month. And so one day she came in and she said to us, she, she, you know, she, she was right at his bedside. Uh, and she wasn't, I wouldn't say that she was an unhappy person, but she was, uh, she, she, you know, she obviously understood the situation and she would have tears and things. One day she came in and uh, she said she looked very happy. She had a smile on her face. And we're like, well, why are, you, why are you so happy? What's going on? And of course, he's you know, kind of shaking like this and doing this sort of stuff. And she said, I had a dream last night. I had a dream that he got up. Shut up. That he was going to get better and he was going to walk out of here. No way. That's what she said. And she was so, she was so sure. Certain. Certain that she, her countenance changed. <laughs> That's what she looked okay. like. Yeah. Her energy, she looked younger, she yeah. liked everything. And, and we, and, and, and okay, so remember, remember I'm in training, okay? So I'm looking at the attendings. I, I haven't seen this kind of stuff before. It's 20 years ago. This is 20 years ago. Uh, and so I'm looking at this and they're like, oh man, she just doesn't get it, right? Because they know this is no coming out of this. Well, and I'm looking to them because they've been doing this a lot longer than I have. I'm like the, my first or second year of like, training, uh, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, and uh, so we said, okay, you know. I think at this point he'd been traked. So the tube normally right. goes down right. into the mouth now and it's, it, now it's through the throat. Oh yes, because he's there for long term, right? So, uh, so, we're, so we're, we're working in a, in a circle. Um, the hospital rooms are round in a circle and in the center is the central nursing station. And this is up on the uh, high, one of the high floors and this is with the intensive care unit. We're rounding around. And so you can kind of like be in the, in the center of the circle where you're rounding and you can kind of look through the door and see yeah. the patients in the room. And... And one day, you know, I just, he started, there was a little bit of a change in him, something different. And he would kind of shake like this, you know, doing this kind of a thing. And I could see his eyes were kind of open, but we didn't know if anyone was there. And this had been going on for some time. And we looked through, I, I remember one day, I remember, I remember this distinctly. Mm. I was looking through the door and I saw him there. 
and I just saw him come through and I just, I don't know what, what I did, why I did this, but I just kind of put my hand up like this and I kind of waved. And I'm not kidding you. He put his hand up and did this and put it back down. And I was flabbergasted. Wow. I'll, I'll make a long story short. Three months later, he walks into our unit to give us flowers. to thank Shut the, up. To thank the staff. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Like healthier, yeah. like speak fine. He's walking on his own. Speaking, own. talking, the whole thing. Wow. With his wife. And I am so glad that that happened early in my career because it, it changed my mm. thinking. Whenever I, was, whenever I was in a similar situation, I wanted to make sure, I, I realized that that was either a miracle or something very, very rare. Mm-hmm. Okay, it's one of those two. I believe in miracles. Mm-hmm. And so I, I know that these things can happen. We don't... I missed the day in school where they told us how long someone was going to live. Have you ever heard this? The doctor said I was going to live 31 days. Right. I missed that day. I have no idea. <laughs> right, right, right. I don't know where this comes from. But I, I am now very cognizant to know that when I have a patient who's not doing well in the hospital and I'm talking to family and they want to know what are his chances, I've seen miracles happen. Wow. So it's, 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 I, ha- I'm, I think about those. Every day I think about that, that gentleman. Wow. And it was very early in my career. So when you asked me, you can see why. I knew that, yeah, yeah. When you asked me, that was the one that came to mind. So you've seen other cases similar since then in the last 20 years or you've seen other things happen that are like, wow, that usually doesn't happen and it's amazing that it did. Yeah, I, 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 I mean, I've had patient, I had a patient once that he was a young, young guy and he had bad asthma really bad asthma and uh, I don't know if he was smoking or what he did but he came in and he could not breathe and when I say he couldn't breathe we put him on the ventilator and the thing that happens in asthma is the airways get so small that you can put air into the lungs but you're waiting for the air to come out Mm. and it can take up to 20 or 30 seconds in this guy it took about 20 seconds feels like a lifetime yeah so that, that means the most we could have him breathe was about three times per minute. Oh, man. And, and so the carbon dioxide levels were building up in his system. His, his pH was dropping. We literally, I had, to get, I had to get a respiratory therapist to bag him. That's called bagging when we push air into his lungs through the ventilator tube. We had a helicopter land at this hospital. Wow. We got the patient into the helicopter. I got... I got our respiratory therapist to go in the helicopter with them. And that's not easy to do because they have limited fuel and they can only be so many pounds. This, and this helicopter went all the way down to a hospital down in Los Angeles where they had to put him on a heart-lung machine oh. because his lungs just could not breathe. And um, two weeks later when I came back to the hospital, I said, how did, how did that guy do? And they said, oh, he just called us up yesterday. He's having breakfast at his grandma's house. Oh, my goodness. And, and to realize how close this guy was to, to not making it. Um, so, yeah, I, I've seen some. I, I had another guy where we, he, he basically had a heart attack so badly that his blood pressure wasn't even uh, up. Uh, we couldn't keep it up. And so I gave him, as a last-ditch effort, I gave him a bolus of calcium. Blood pressure came up enough. We were able to get a helicopter in there, get him in oh there, gosh. and ship him off to, to the tertiary center where he could get um, uh, cardiac bypass. So I didn't know what happened. Two weeks later, I'm in clinic. Um, and where I work in clinic, the pulmonologist and the cardiologist work uh, right next to each other. So I'm, I'm in clinic, and the cardiologist comes down the hallway and knocks on my door, and he says, hey, I got somebody here that I want you to see. Wow. So he takes me down, and sure enough, it's the guy. 
in the helicopter, and now he's he's in clinic. So yeah, I, I've seen some amazing, wow, some amazing things. Uh, Do you think we can heal our, like some of the worst cases of disease and pain with the mind? I believe that a lot of problems that we have come almost entirely from our mind. Now you're speaking my language. Yeah, I like this. <laughs> Tell me more. Uh, People, you know, there's a saying that says, a, 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 the mind is a powerful thing. It can make a heaven out of hell or a hell out of heaven. Mm-hmm. If, you look at, if you look at survival camps, what I mean by survival camps, concentration camps where people yes. have survived, almost exclusively the people that survive those kind of situations do so because of their thinking and wow. hope. Hope is a very powerful thing. And so absolutely, the mind is irrevocably irrevocably connected to the body Mm. if you think that you have a problem if you think that there's going to be uh, issues that in and of itself sets up a a situation with stress and cortisol where you're going to lead to this problem we have something in in sleep medicine called psychophysiological insomnia so it's psycho psychophysiological insomnia let me explain it you can't go to sleep okay so what do you do? You go into your bedroom and you sit there and, uh, and you don't sleep. And when you don't sleep, you feel like, oh my goodness, I'm not sleeping. So now I'm going to be very, very sick. I need to get sleep. So you wake up the next morning and you do your, and it's like, tonight I'm going to get some sleep. Right. I'm going to go to bed earlier to get some sleep. And what, what happens if you go to bed before it's time to go to bed? You're not going to sleep. You sit there and you're stressing about it. Exactly. Yeah. And so what happens is you get this performance anxiety for sleep. Hmm. And so the very, the very effect of you not being able to sleep pre- prevents you from going to sleep. Imagine if we were to walk through this school of greatness sign and on the other side of this sign was a was Carnegie Hall stage. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I were to ask you, do you play the piano? No. Okay. Pretend you were, yes. <laughs> or even better, you can't play the piano. Yes. And there's a big grand piano sitting on the stage at Carnegie Hall, and the place is packed. Yes. Okay? Go ahead and play a piece on the piano. There's no way that's going to no. happen. That's performance anxiety. Right. Now, imagine if instead of a piano, I put a bed, and I tell you, go into that bed and sleep. There's no way. Right. <laughs> And for some people with insomnia, and, and you know, I'll have to say that we talked about at the beginning about make sure you get enough sleep. There's some people out there that are watching this to say, I would love to get sleep and I can't do it. And, the, and this is part of the reason. And, and trying to figure out how to get people to sleep when they have insomnia is like trying to peel an onion. It's very complicated mm-hmm. and you've got to sort of dig down to it. But here's, the, here's a classical story of what I see with psychophysiological insomnia and it has to do with the brain. And to unravel it, you have to do cognitive behavioral therapy. Mm-hmm. But to do it is you, you, you have the situation where they want to sleep, but because they can't sleep, they, be, they have anxiety. So they're out in the kitchen, they're out in the living room, and they feel tired, and they say, okay, it's time to go to sleep. Great, I'm going to go to sleep. And they walk into the bedroom, that one room in the house where they are battling their demons on a nightly basis, Ugh. and all of the subconscious stuff that comes with it. And then what happens? They're like, oh, Performance anxiety. I can't go to sleep. And so they walk into the bedroom and now they're not sleepy. Now they can't sleep. And this is the problem that we have to battle when, we, when I see people in my, in my sleep clinic mm-hmm. to try to get them to sleep. Right. So, so I do ICU work. I do pulmonary work. And I do sleep work. And it's, 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 I see it. It's all connected. Right. 
But you believe that the mind can heal the body as well. There are things that the mind can do to support. Oh, yeah. I mean, well, this is a, a perfect example of that. Because the, the treatment for insomnia, more than medications, it's been proven, scientifically proven. Medications don't substantially, sustainably mm. treat insomnia. You know what does? Cognitive behavioral therapy. That is completely a treatment of the mind. It is. Absolutely. There you go. Addictive behavior, cognitive behavioral therapy. This is, this is really... Uh, where the real money is in terms of treating these kind of conditions. Absolutely. Yes. I love this. Dr. Schwelt, you're amazing. Is there anything else that you would like to add um, before we wrap things up? This is... You know, we, we've, yeah, this, this has been a far-reaching discussion. Yes. Um, there's a lot of things that we could, we could talk more about, but I think, I think we've, we've talked about enough. I, sometimes people can get information overload. And they might yes. have to watch this video yes, again. Yes, yes. <laughs> but if they are interested, um, you know, we have, uh, there's our first interview that, they, that yes. we did, so they can watch that as well. It's almost 2 million views right now, so yeah. people are loving that one. Yeah, and yeah. of course, there's, there's the MedCram channel as well. You yeah. can see that. And what do you guys well. teach on MedCram? What's the main subjects you guys cover? So before the COVID pandemic, we were geared toward healthcare, in, healthcare professionals and trying to teach them things that are difficult to understand in an easy way so that they could uh, understand it. Mm -hmm. uh, since, pan since the pandemic, we've done a lot of our, our YouTube videos uh, have been on the pandemic. Trying to teach the population. Correct, exactly. How to understand these things. Exactly, so we, we've kind of pivoted there. But if you go to our website, medcram.com, it's, it's primarily for healthcare professionals. Um, if, if you ever wanted to learn how to read an EKG, that would be a place to go. If you want to, ever want to know what a chest x-ray shows you and what you can interpret from that, that would be a place to go. Okay. You know, there's some, there's some interesting uh, devices you can buy now. Uh, you can put it into your wallet, pull it out. You can actually see what your EKG is. Really? In, yeah, for, for like for a hundred bucks, you can Maybe buy it. Maybe just to hold your, your, kind of like at the gym where you hold yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And you can see your thing. So, you know, if you ever wanted to know what that shows, you can come over and, and read. There's even devices now that you can get for your phone that tells you how you sleep, what your pulse rate right, is. Right. So if you want to understand a little bit more about that stuff, you can... All at medcram.com. Yes. And then you're on, are you on social media as well? Yeah, so we're on uh, Twitter. Both me personally and also uh, Medcram is on Twitter. We're also yeah. on Instagram as well. What's your personal? Uh, it's uh, just Roger Schweltz. Okay. MD, yeah. MD, okay, cool. Um, and the last interview we did, we talked about your three truths and your definition of greatness. So I'm going to have people go back there. We'll link it up below so they can see what your three truths and your definition of greatness is. Other than that, Roger, I appreciate uh, and acknowledge you for constantly doing the research, for constantly diving in on this, for giving us the information on all sides, for being a spiritual practitioner as well. I really appreciate your approach spiritually towards hope, towards the mindset type of things, which maybe next time we can go into mindset as medicine yeah and how to approach your life with a mindful uh you know with the mind and all the different things you can do with the mind to heal yourself i think that'd be interesting from a doctor's point of view what you can do what you've done personally what you'd prescribe to people when there seems like there's no hope medically yeah, yeah. Um, so if people want to hear that conversation leave a comment below if you want to hear that uh, and i really appreciate all you do thank you so much for being here Thank you so much for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, please spread the message of greatness to a friend, a family member, or post it over on social media to someone that you think would be inspired by this as well. Click the subscribe button over on Apple Podcasts to stay up to date and leave us a review of the part you enjoyed the most about this episode or the part that was inspiring for you the most. And again, I want to remind you, if no one's told you lately that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter, 
and I'm so grateful for you. And you know what time it is. It's time to go out there and do something great. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Roger that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com.